0: What does it mean for a position to be shallow? How valuable are dual position eligible players? Do you need to draft a power first baseman? We'll answer these questions along with continuing our position previews with the corner infielders. Mike Gianella of Baseball Perspectives joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Ship Podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruben Guy. How are you, Ruben?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fantastic. It is cold in the northeast here, really cold, and uh, we got some snow for the first time in two years. We're going to we're gonna get a little bit more tomorrow. How are you doing, dealing with the cold?
1: I'm even colder than you are. I'm farther up north than you are, so it is colder up here. Everything is turning to ice. But just think about this, only 70 days until opening day.
0: It's crazy. I was able to, so far this winter, have a catch with my kids um, on the front porch like every single day. There was no snow or anything, but uh, we have to wait a little bit now for the snow to melt. And hopefully it'll, uh, it won't uh will last all that long and we'll be able to get a couple more weeks in. But you, ne- you never know at this time of year, that polar vortex and all that. Oh, goodness gracious. Yep, yep. All right, our guest today, from Baseball Perspectives, you know him, Mike Gianella. Welcome, Mike.
2: Hey, Ariel. Hey, Ruben. Nice to be on again.
0: Likewise. Always a pleasure having you. Hope you're not freezing your butt off also. You're also in the Northeast.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm like, in Pennsylvania, like, in a a Philadelphia suburb, so it's it's just about as cold here as it is where you are. Yeah.
0: Well, today is our corner infield episode, and we're going to... uh, dive into some strategy of the position, some undervalued players, and we'll take a couple of your mailbag questions and answer them. So let's dive right into it. And my question to you, uh, everyone's saying that the third base position this season is shallow. What is shallow to you, and what do you mean by that?
2: Well, I I think that it's one of those things where it's subjective, and it depends on what players you, you like or don't like, but you know, j- just looking at, at Steamer and some of the earlier projection models, it, it means to me that after maybe the top eight to third, ten, top eight or ten third basemen, you can see a drop off to, to the next best one. Uh, first base is deeper in that middle part of the pool, and I think that's particularly true in shallow leagues. Uh, I, I was looking at NF- NFBC ADP, and that means that after, in deeper leagues after pick 175 or so, which is Isak Paredes. That there's really some uncertainty with either younger players um, like uh, like Garcia or like Junior Caminero or some batting average risks in Matt Chapman or Eugenio Suarez. They're not bad players. They they just have some deficiencies that the first baseman, you know, at that part of ADP don't have.
0: Anything to add, Ruben?
1: Yeah, it means that you try, want to try to avoid getting those bottom guys. So the bottom guys and the, and the third base are not the same level as they are at first base. So you want to try to get a little bit higher up just so you're able to get that. You know, you don't have to be the shallow. When they say shallow, it means basically you want to avoid the lower ones and try to get some of the higher ones.
0: Yeah, uh, that's basically the gist of it. Um, I, I have a little bit of a distinction between, um, you know, shallow up top and what i call narrow at the bottom so like at the top if i say a position is deep versus shallow i'm talking about at the top but at the bottom of course i think it's important to consider the bottom of the draft uh, i use the terms wide versus narrow to see if there's a large plethora of talent somewhere that you can get that's equivalent at the bottom or not i think third base is both shallow and narrow um you know the question is you know w- what does that tell you to do if it's shallow does that tell you mike to Take somebody at the top? Does that tell you that, well, you know what? A bottom player is a bottom player. Whatever, it doesn't matter.
2: I I mean, I I was thinking more with the corner infielders, you know, since third and first base often get compared. Uh, So, yeah, for one thing, I I don't want to wind up with one of these third basemen as my primary third baseman if I can avoid it. Um, But as far as, like, corner infield goes, I really want to get one of those first basemen uh, I think the only way I'd, I'd opt for one of these lower third basemen if I'm stolen base deficient and really need like steals at this part of the draft, um, I, I might opt for for Garcia. And same thing, if I feel like I can take an average risk, I, I might take Chapman or Suarez. But I, I just don't. I don't like these contingencies. I only feel like oh, I have to take this because I need this and I'm giving up this. So that's really the part of the draft I'm zeroing in on, which which means, yes, to to your question, Ariel, I, I think that means I'm going to be trying to take one of those top 10 third basemen and, and looking at it that way.
0: Let's talk a little bit about eligibility. Um, you know, for some of the corner infield spots, players can have dual first base, third base eligibility, maybe first base and a middle infield position, maybe first base outfield. What does it mean to you in terms of how valuable a player is more, the fact that he has that eligibility and is having any you know outfield versus middle infield is any more is anyone more important than the other to you Mike
2: well in some years yes but but something I've found interesting looking at the player pool this year is there's only like two players who, who really have a, a lot of impact in terms of their potential or going off of what they did last year. You know, that's Spencer Steer, who has lots of eligibility. He's first base, third base outfield. And I think in some leagues, he actually is even second base eligible if you use a lower threshold. And then there's um, Cody Bellinger, who, you know, is first base outfield. Um, so something that the shift change did that, that really I think I didn't see coming It's sort of limited a lot of the multi-positional flexibility guys. You're seeing like more second base shortstop, which is pretty traditional. You're not seeing so much players moving around to all sorts of different positions because I think some teams are valuing defense more. So, you know, it it matters a, a little bit for sure. But you know, if you're looking at, say, Jake Cronenworth, for example, I, I don't think it really matters that much that he's got first base, middle infield eligibility. He, he's kind of, unless you're in an only league, he, he's kind of a fringy player and, and you're not really focused on that so much.
0: Ruvane, what about you? How more, much more valuable is it for you if a player has dual eligibility? Is that something that you look for? Is that like, well, if it's even, I'll just go with the dual eligible player? Like, how, how does it work for you?
1: Well, when I see a player has a first base, third base eligibility, I like that a lot because that gives me more options during the draft. Because in this way, I can say, you know what? If a, if a third baseman can fall on my lap later on that I really like, who is upside and lower down, I'll take it because I can take that gamble because I already have, hopefully, that third baseman. And it gives me more flexibility that way. As for the outfield guys, there aren't that many outfield um, eligible players also that, that go with first base or third base. And if they do, I don't really know if I want to play them at first base sometimes i'd ra- i'd rather play them in the outfield because just like third base we say is shallow, outfield when you look at the waiver wire later on in the season you're trying to find something in the outfield, it looks pretty shallow also. So having that flexibility where you can move the players around from first to third to the outfield i think is the most important.
0: I like it when you you go to the waiver wire and you know when you need a corner infield position um you know if you have a dual eligible player on your bench then suddenly you don't need a corner. If you have a guy who's eligible corner and middle, well, then you could get either or because you can plug that person in anywhere. right? If if you have guys on your bench that that can go anywhere, that increases your, your player pool from the waiver wire. So for me, it's almost more valuable come waiver wire time. And I like, especially in leagues with shallow benches, to have somebody who can fill that role because this way you only have to use one spot. Like it doesn't really – I don't really value it up top. For players who are expensive, it doesn't really do anything. You're playing them anyways. It doesn't really matter. But for players who are low down, who you know you're going to have to rotate, you know gonna, there's going to be injuries, it's more valuable to me. So I, I, I don't really have a dollar amount that I do. I mean I guess I, I once calculated that it's worth about – You know, a dollar or two in Roto and best ball, it's worth like 3 or $4 potentially. I don't really do that. I sort of just mentally make a note. Oh, get somebody on the roster who fits that bill, right? I I don't add the value to to the dollar amount to the player. I just say "I, I want somebody. Does that make sense, Mike?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense as far as, you know, if you play in like a really deep league, like, like an NL or AL, that makes perfect sense because you, you really need that flexibility in season and, and that can really save your, save your team.
0: Let's talk general player pool observations this year. Mike, what are you seeing this year as opposed to last year? What is your general observation, you know, what, what general strategy on how you want to play corner infield for these upcoming drafts?
2: So, so starting at first base, um, you know, having Bryce Harper there makes the top of the position stronger. I mean, he gained eligibility during the season, but he wasn't draft eligible last year. Um, but something I'm finding is there's a surprising amount of performance uncertainty and age risk, like the deeper you go. And I think the biggest surprise at first is the power that used to be automatic is no longer a given. So there's 10, like, if you're using a 20 game threshold, there were 10 first basemen who hit at least 25 home runs last year. That was the lowest total since 2013 at first base. And that's a year where the league as a whole hit about 1,200 fewer home runs than it did last year. So there's good stats at the position to be sure and good good players, but that power isn't the given that I think some people think it is. Um, third base looks like it gained from a raw counting stats perspective, but this is where the league context matters, You know, and, and last year everything rose uh, so the percentage of stats that third base provided actually dropped in every category, but runs. And contextually, it really dropped off in steals and average. So that's that's something I think you want to look at. You don't just want to look at a player's year over year numbers and say, "Oh, he got better." You know, you really need to look at the context of the league at, at third and kind of kind of see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I I generally see that for corner infield, um, the values up top is very strong. I think the players. Very reliable up top, Freeman, Olsen, Harper, Alonzo's pretty consistent. You know, you have that strength up top. And um, there's, again, all those bargains. We see that every year that there's some swath of corner infielders, low single digits, um, uh, sorry, uh, high single digits, low double digits, that there's just bargains available. So, you know, I think that anywhere in the corner infield spot is a place to play. There's either a gain down low in terms of uh, expectation versus draft price or just stability and and raw stats, reliability up top. I think that there's really no bad area to draft from. It's, It's, you know, get what you need and get your values, period.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I I generally feel that way at almost any position, like through most parts of the draft. And I I do agree with first base in particular, like in in putting together my preseason ranks, like I was really surprised to see that there's a lot of portions or pockets of the draft where I feel the first basemen are going at like slightly or somewhat favorable prices compared to where I have them valued.
0: And before we go any further, it's time for the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week.
1: Now, looking into getting a corner infielder, um, the question is exactly what stats are you going for? So, I started doing a deep dive on the corner infielders, and last year, 36 corner infielders hit more than 20 home runs, 10 of them hit 30 or more. I was going to ask how many of the corner infielders went 2020 last year, but one of the mailbag questions by Scotty Barnes actually gave that answer. So, my question is going to be this How many corner infielders last year went 2010 or better? 20 home runs 10 stolen bases any guesses I
2: will guess seven I'm I'm gonna say ten
1: the answer is eight Jose okay. Ramirez <laughs> Freddie Freeman Cody Bellinger Spencer Steer Christian Walker Gunnar Henderson Paul Goldschmidt and Bryce Harper all those guys went at least 2010 now my question to you Mike is this what stats are you trying to gain from the corner infield position? Are you looking for a guy who steals a little bit, or are you going to get your stolen bases elsewhere? Are you just going to, you know, uh, uh, take with the power and the RBIs? What's your goal in the corner infield spot?
0: You know, and, and before you answer that, Mike, just to add to that, um, you know, the question also is: Do you look to get uh, certain stats from different positions in general? Like, do you say, well? You know I got get my I gotta get steals from the outfield. I gotta get power from first base. Like are you really cognizant of what stats you get from which positions in general, or do you say, I'm just going to go best value and let it sort out by itself?
2: so th- this question is multifaceted, so my my answer is two. i I'd say going into a draft like in in a redraft with with no freezes, I, I'm just looking to get the best players to start out. And so then how that plays out is, is kind of dictated by the players I get. Like, you know, kind of as an example, like let, let's say in a draft, you know, forgetting draft slots for a second. Let, let's say in the first two rounds, um, I get, you know, Aaron Judge and Matt just, Olson, just to make up two names. Well, I'm pretty light on steals and, and that kind of, of draft, I'm going to be pushing for steals later on. But I'm not going to look at Olsen in the second round if I think he's the best value and go, yeah, you know, what? I'm not taking him because I already have Judge. I, I don't feel that makes a lot of sense. I feel it's a really strong power base. And at that point, I can get my steals later and maybe be a little lighter in power. So, so that, that's kind of the first part of that question is it really depends on how my draft goes early. I don't want to shy away from value because I have to get certain things at certain points in the draft, particularly if you're just talking about offensive categories. As opposed to offense versus pitching or, or closers which is kind of a separate like argument but once the draft starts going i do like to be cognizant of that so so that is where i start looking and go hmm you know if i know that i don't have a first baseman yet and i know first base is generally steals light compared to say middle infield that's where i want to kind of be really sure and where that might be the tiebreaker it's like okay so in this scenario I got Judge and Olsen, you know, it's the eighth or ninth round. I have a choice between, you know, a second baseman and, you know, a third baseman or another corner infielder. The tie break here is that I really need to add some speed to my team. So, so that's, I'm you know, working backwards, that's kind of the answer to your question, Ariel. I, I think Ruve, looking at, you know, corner, I think, given what I said before, I really want to get power from from my first baseman. I want to try to lock that in as much as possible. And I'm not even talking about Olson power, but maybe like 25 home runs somewhere in that range. And at third base, given the way the position is, I'm a little more willing to live with the all around contributions. Like I I like the third baseman at the top, but if I don't get Austin Riley or Raphael Devers, I'm I'm okay with like you know not pushing them up a little bit higher than their ADP. And just letting them go and taking the all-around player, you know, later at the position.
0: Yeah. So I, 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 with you on, you know, you go in and you get best, best available value early on. But I, I, am of the position that you do have to look at the player pool and you have to in your draft prep say, I probably need steals a steals guy in the middle infield. Like I can't walk away with none. So, you know, if there's going to be X available. I got to get one. I got to get an outfielder that steals. Like, I I, I do feel that you have to do that. You need a first baseman with power, just knowing that there's more available in one position than the other. Obviously, if you come in the draft and you've got great power up top, okay, you can be more flexible later on once the draft unfolds. But I think you do have to prepare a certain way.
1: But back in the day, that's what made Paul Goldschmidt so valuable, that he was stealing all these bases along with hitting so many home runs. So he was sort of a unicorn. Usually people don't go into the draft saying, you know what, I need to get 10 to 15 stolen bases out of my first baseman. But just like Mike said, third base is a little bit different. If you're not going to go for the top tier guys, they're mid-tier or low-tier. Those guys steal 10 to 15 bases. They may not hit a whole bunch of home runs. Maybe they'll hit 15, 20 home runs, but they're not going to get the... Power that you would normally get from a quote unquote traditional third baseman. So if you're going to do it that way, it's better to spread your risk when you have stolen bases so you don't have to get that one guy. Like, don't say, okay, I'm going to get Ronald Acuna. I'm going to get, or if, if, if you're lucky for that in, in an auction or a draft, I'm going to get him or I'm going to get a Trey Turner. I'm just going to have my stolen bases locked up. I'll get a Corbin Carroll, whatever it costs, I'll get those locked up and that's it. But you can't do that if you're planning on for, for a corner infield. You have to try to spread it out, try to spread the risk for stolen bases because if that one stolen base guy you have gets hurt, then you're in trouble.
0: Yeah, I think we're back to the days where you don't have to absolutely push, push push a certain stat very early on. Oh, I must get a first baseman who steals some because there's just a, a dearth of stolen bases out there. I think that those days are, are gone. Like, get the best value. Obviously, you have to be conscious because it is Roto category, categories if you're drafting in Roto, but so on and so forth. In uh, points leagues, though, of course, you certainly don't have to be conscious of the steals. You're just going for value, period. Um, I want to ask you though. I did bring it up earlier that um, you know the the top of the pool is pretty uh, le- is less risky than usual. I mean, last year's ADP was pretty close to the way that the corner infielders, especially first basemen, turned out. And there still is bargains available low down. So, uh, how do you resolve that contradiction, Mike? The fact that there are bargains low down, but the top is reliable. Does that mean that you? get one of each, you get a value low down, and you get a base up top? Does it mean that, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go bargain, bargain. Maybe you just let the draft unfold, and if you don't get a top first baseman, who cares? Uh, how, how do you resolve that, and, and do you actually take a look at reliability up top?
2: Um, generally, yes. I, I do try to like look at reliability. Like One thing I noticed, and I'm certainly not picking on... You know the player or his potential and, and the folks who have drafted him but ellie de la cruz is people are drafting him really aggressively I, I probably won't have him anywhere just because like it's one of those situations to your point about reliability where if, if if you take him in the second round and you know this was kind of the bobby witt jr thing last year like i had him valued a little bit lower than everyone i knew i wouldn't get him and it's like well it, it kind of stinks that he outperformed my expectation a lot of the projections but you know god bless like you you did well taking wit where you took him that's kind of where I, how i feel about Cruz this year so yes reliability does matter like you I, I don't want to get caught with somebody where it's like he's done it for half a season or he's coming off of an injury or i'm not sure what he's going to do you know whatever the the reasoning is for the unreliability um but i don't know if it's necessarily a contradiction You know, one thing i look at is you know you can carry two first basemen because you've got a corner infield slot and you know, you can even carry three if you you know wind up using one of your DHUT in a, in a league with like the standard like fourteen hitters. You know, it's not like a three outfielder league or, or something like that. So um, early on, you know, my priority is almost always value. So if the values with Freeman, Harper, Olson, Alonso early. I'm perfectly fine grabbing one of them and and taking a, a first base bargain later um i do agree with you that almost you know i said this earlier almost every first baseman feels like he's being drafted after i have him valued but but what that tells me is i can probably pick and choose rather than push for one or two you know non-elite first baseman early like i don't feel pressured to take a christian walker or you know even a paul goldschmidt it's like well if i like their price i'm perfectly fine taking them if not, that's fine. Um something else I think I, I think a lot of these li- these players, I think are bargains or kind of a product of these early drafts. i've I've noticed that the the draft champions market tends to start to correct as we get closer to opening day.
1: Yeah, that's
0: true. I, I still find that there's bargains later on, but yeah, I'm with you. Um, you know, y- y- you do have to see how your draft unfolds. Um, but again, you know, be aware where always be aware of the hot spots, where the pockets of value are. To know, okay, if I didn't get a first baseman, I'm going to get one in a certain area of the draft. Like, you need to know the spots where you get certain positions.
1: But what's what's very interesting, though, is if you look at the th- top third baseman that are going right now, there are like maybe four reliable ones. I mean, if you want to count Devers, um, Ramirez, you want to count Machado, you know, those that type of— elk of third baseman. Look at the other guys who are going up top. They're, e- they're either rookies or had a half a rookie season, had a full rookie season. They're going to the sophomore season. You're talking about Josh Young, Ellie Da Cruz, Royce Lewis, um, Spencer Steer, uh, even Jake Berg, who's going to his third year. These guys, they don't have such a big track record. So you don't know if, you know what, maybe last year was a fluke and then this year you're going to have a sophomore slump or a junior slump, something like that. So I think having the reliability up top, especially at first base, because a lot of those Guys are not rookies. A lot of those guys are proven commodities. I think that makes it all that more important if you're going to get one of those younger third basemen.
0: So let's move on to the ATC undervalued players portion of this show. That's where we take a look at players so far that ATC is showing as a potential bargain as compared to the market, pitting ADP or some. Well, I do it an auction dollar draft equivalent of ADP. So you might hear me mention he's worth. X by the market, it's really the dollar equivalent. And I'm doing this right now just as a convention in 15-team mixed, 5x5 roto, so essentially NFBC settings, just because I need a base to say everything. So when you hear me do terms, it'll be that kind of format. Um, And again, we we don't talk about every single player in the pool. Um, We focus on the players that we could have a potential bargain according to ATC, and we do a deep dive to see if we truly believe ATC. Projections will come out, ATC projections next week, but these are some preliminary uh, thoughts over here. Let's start up the top. There are three players early on that ATC projects as a bargain, potentially. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman. These are players who can be found uh, going for somewhere between $17 and $20, where the market values at $3, 4 $5 cheaper than them. Uh, all of these guys, Goldschmidt, Arnano, and Bregman, they're all over 30. Goldschmidt is 36. All of them have shown pretty consistent returns uh, over the past couple of years. Tried and true. Old, boring vets, and old, boring vets usually go at a little bit of a discount. These are guys who, who have solid RBI totals, all have a very good batting average. Um, so that sets the stage what are your thoughts about these guys? Anybody you like in particular or not, Mike? Between Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Alex Bregman,
2: I of the three, I, I'd say the one I want is Bregman. And I, now this is a, a deeper league replacement um, level thing as well, because in a deep league where the replacement pool is shallow or non-existent, you know, Bregman just going out there and you know getting 650 plus plate appearances and playing almost every day is huge. Uh, also, the lineup is big for him. You know, you get a ton of runs, ton of runs batted in, and I, I, you know, obviously in, in leagues like Taut that use on base, he's got that value as well. I I, I just love the consistency with Bregman. I think Arnaud and Goldschmidt are fine where they are, and, and maybe a little undervalued. I, I am concerned about their ages. Uh, I think with Goldschmidt more than Arenado, but like we have seen historically third base is just a a rougher position than people think in terms of the age curve. Like when you look at third baseman who are 33, 34 older, there's a cliff for some of them. And I I don't think Arenado is anywhere close to that cliff, but we've also seen, you know, two of the last three years have, you know, some of it is just the raw counting stats because he's out of out of course, but even if you look at the WRC+, like, you know, two last three years, he's he's fallen off. He's still very good. He's still consistent. I, I still think you know what you're going to get. But you're probably looking more at, like, 25 home runs as opposed to 30 to
0: 35. All right, Ruvain, what's your pick of the litter between Goldschmidt, Arenado, and
1: Bregman? I'm actually going to agree. I I think it's Bregman now. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. The metrics haven't really changed that much. Yes, Goldschmidt's going to his year 36 season, but. You know, he had his highest hit percentage last year of his career, so I'm not concerned about him. I would have no problem taking him where he's going. Aronado, a little bit more, uh, for all the reasons that Mike just mentioned. He's he's a third baseman. He shouldn't be playing third base for much longer, and he's a goal glove first third baseman. He didn't win it this past year, but look at Ryan Zimmerman. Same thing happened. He was good at third base, but after a while, the body starts to take a beating, and they move him to first. The problem is Paul Goldschmidt's there, so Nolan Aronado will have to continue playing a third. For now, or DH, whatever it may be. Now, as for Bregman, Bregman last year he has he had the most home runs and RBIs in a single season since 2019. He went opposite field and up the middle at a higher rate in his most more of his career, and he's in a contract year. That's another thing. When players are, in, I mentioned this many times on this podcast. When players in, are in contract years, they tend to have a little bit more incentive to do better that year. So we'll see if that same holds true for Alex Bregman.
0: So uh, I generally agree with with that assessment. Goldschmidt is 36. He's older. Uh, I also see his strikeout rate really moving up. Um, he was a sub-20% strikeout rate. Now it's 24% last year. Still a strong walker, but the strikeout rate is going up. Uh, Bregman, Bregman has a fantastic contact rate. I mean, he struck out only 12% of the time last year. He walked 12.7% of the time. So his K minus BB is negative, which is really great for for players. You usually don't see that at all. Uh, and and it's been the case the last two years. So the the floor for getting on base is pretty strong for Bregman and still will be there. He's not the 40 40 uh, Homer <laughs> player he was in 2019, but mid20s. Low 20s, something around there is definitely fine with a decent average, and those runs and RBIs are really juicy. The only thing I'd say different from everybody else is that I think Arenado's ADP might drop a little bit. I think as the draft season go, goes on, you might see him go a little bit cheaper, and that could end up being in great territory. I've, I, when I've done auctions in the past couple of years, Arenado uh, throwing him out semi-early has really worked well for getting a bigger bargain, and he's just, you know, where everyone else is getting a $2 bargain, $3 bargain, no bargain. You throw him out, and you get a $4, $5 bargain. So I can see that happening as we get closer to opening day, so just watch out for that. But uh, Bregman is my choice between the couple. Of course, also, <laughs> Bregman and Arnato are third baseman. Goldschmidt's a first baseman. I'd rather take the undervalued third baseman because there's going to be more first basemen after that. Uh, moving on, Josh Naylor. Really interesting guy. Um, I have him projected as a $16 player going for just $11, a theoretical $5 bargain for auction. Now, he earned $19 last year, so we're talking about some soft regression, I guess. Uh, I have him projected for a little bit over 20 homers, about 10 stolen bases, really nice 280 batting average with a lot of RBIs. Um, I mean, I, I think this is. I prefer Josh Naylor's price to Goldschmidt. I mean, the, the statistics are very similar to what you're getting out of Naylor as Goldschmidt, uh, and you're getting a huge, huge you know, discount. Uh, we're talking 40 picks or whatever it is. Um, I like Josh Naylor a lot better than Goldschmidt for the value.
2: Your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I like Naylor where he's going. Um, they, I, I think the main thing with him, and, and there's another player in your list too I don't want we'll to talk about, people tend to underestimate batting average and and to some degree I get it. And your model's correct. Like projecting someone to hit 308, like Naylor did last year is silly, but a a 280 projection is really good. Like I I think people might look at that and go, Oh, that's not a big deal, but like that really matters, particularly for, from a a regular player. Um, I I don't like the team context. I'm not really a fan of the guardians. And I look at the bottom of that lineup and I think that could hurt uh, Naylor like it did last year with runs. Um, And, you know, I, I I don't know if I'd count on the steals. I I know steals are, are a little difficult to predict because of the rule changes last year. Um, I, I'd probably just based on Naylor's size, I, I'd maybe look more at like five to six than ten. But you know, otherwise, yeah, I I think he's a he's a fine player. Uh, the the playing time should go up next year as well. So, yeah, he he looks like a bit of a bargain to me. I I think people are looking at the line last year. And not the plate appearances thinking, oh, you know, 17 home runs, 10 steals, big deal. But, yeah, he's he's a solid all-around contributor.
0: Yeah, I mean, sure, maybe he only gets seven stolen bases as opposed to nine that I'm projecting. But, I mean, he's a $5 bargain here. And, by the way, as far as run production, he only had 50 runs. But he had 97 RBIs. So he is showing stuff. He should hit in the middle of the lineup. Um, Cleveland hopefully will be better last year. I mean, uh, Jose Ramirez suffered from that. His run production numbers were down last year. I think that was fluky. I think they'll be back to more regular levels this year. Ruvane, do you uh, also like Josh Naylor?
1: I do. I'm not in. I'm not in love with him. I, I. I. wouldn't. Don't think I'll have him on many of my teams just because I'm not a huge fan of him. But he has a lot of upside. I, he, he will. He's been very good. Last his first two years, his first full two seasons, they were looking almost exactly the same. He had th- a, th- a difference of three at bats and the stats. Have basically improved a little bit. His walk rate improved. His K rate improved. The 300 batting average, obviously, you can't bank on because he did have his batting was 30 points over his career average, so not great. But I don't know if I want him as my first baseman. I don't know if I I wouldn't have a problem playing having my corner, but I don't know if I'm having him as my first baseman. That's probably where I'd have him.
0: Next up is Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz was last year's most undervalued player according to the ATC projections as compared to the market. And that turned to be absolutely true. He was one of the most profitable players in general. He had twenty six dollars of return value, which is well beyond what what I projected. But uh, you know, doesn't really matter. You know, it never really matters exactly how high somebody goes, uh, as long as they have they gain, right? If if you buy somebody and they're gaining profit. You win, and you realize all the upside, right? It didn't matter if ATC projected eighteen dollars, fifty-four dollars from Andy Diaz, whatever projected, you still realized all the upside. Um, well, I'm showing some regression. He's not a three thirty hitter. I have him as a almost three hundred hitter, uh, which he's done a couple years in a row. Um, I'm also showing near ninety runs, near seventy RBIs, against soft regression from last year. He's a $15 player going for about 11 dollars 5 so a couple bucks discount. Uh, even two years ago, he was a $13 player. So beating an $11 projection I think is really, really probable for him. He has got a very high floor in terms of getting on base because that strikeout rate is unbelievable, and he walks a lot. Um, and he's going to lead off a lot for the raise. So I kind of think it's a sure profit, even if it's a small profit. Um Maybe his ADP goes up. I don't know, but right now I'd say he's he's an option uh, to get. Mike, do you agree? Is Andy Diaz somebody who thinks going to fall off a map, or uh, do you think more of the same from last year?
2: Um, so yeah, the one thing about Diaz is, is the home runs. I see him for like 15 home runs, maybe as opposed to like the 22 he hit last year. Everything else in the projection you mentioned, Ariel, sounds fine. So I think that's a really good player. I, I, I think some people will fade Diaz. And I brought this up with Naylor, too, because of the batting average. And I've heard a lot of this argument with another player, another position, Luis Arise, where people are really afraid of him and want no part of him. I, I, I don't buy that. I, I feel like you you take the value. You don't want to build a team with like Diaz, Arise, and, and a bunch of average first hitters. But if you get one average first hitter like this who contributes elsewhere, I, I think you do it at the right price, and you worry about the the rest of your team construction later. So, I do like Diaz. I do like locking him on average with with some other good stats. Um, you know, I, that, that's that's my take on him.
0: Makes sense, Ruben. You were always a very big Andy Diaz guy. Um, are you still uh, thinking that he's a good value? Is he gonna have soft regression, heavy regression? What's your take?
1: I think he's going to be the same player he was last year. I mean, the first half of the last season, he batted 323 with 13 home runs. Second half, 338 with 9 home runs. Now, in 2019, he hit 14 home runs in 79 games with the same home run to fly ball rate. Now his launch angle is kind of crazy. His launch angle is 5.7. So that for for all of last year, which is just crazy to think that he hit 22 home runs just with that. If he changes that a little bit or increases his home run to fly ball rate, his home run total can even be higher. So there's a possibility that you're not just getting the average, but you're getting some pa- getting some power even the 20 home runs just like he did last year.
0: Ruben, let's go back to you on this next player. Jake Berger really came on strong last year, hitting 34 homers, 80 RBIs. He was a $17 player. Right now, ATC has a $13 valuation going for a market equivalent of $9, so it's a $4 potential bargain. Any interest in Jake Berger?
1: Yes, there is interest in him, but I'm a little bit concerned because of some th- some things. First of all, he pulls the ball a lot. Almost 50% of the time, he pulls the ball. But when I was doing a deep dive, his home run to fly ball rate last year was 25.4. So I have a bonus trivia question for you now. There were only three players in all of Major League Baseball who had a higher home run to fly ball rate than Jake Berger last year. Can you name the three players? Pete Alonzo? No.
2: I, I have no idea. I mean, I'd just be guessing.
1: <laughs> Shohei Ohtani, Matt Olson, and Kyle Schwarber. Okay, those yeah. were the only three players that had. A I would have higher, said Schwarber next. Yeah, that was the only three players that had a higher home run to fly ball rate, which is just crazy to think of. Is that sustainable? Probably not. Is he playing in a hitter friendly park? Well, he wasn't playing in a hitter friendly park when he was traded from the White Sox, so he's he's you know that that shouldn't matter. But that home run to fly ball rate, I don't think that's sustainable. Can he hit 25, 20 to 25 home runs? Yes. Can he hit 30? That's a little bit of a stretch because I think he was a little bit lucky last year.
0: Mike, he only did this one year. You know, can we go by one year? Is he really that good? Uh, I I do think, though, that he's not like a – he's not a Joey Gallo type who's going to hit 200. I think he's going to hit a solid 250 or better. So we do have a decent batting average floor for a power type guy. And I kind of think he's at least a 30-homer guy. Um, so 30 homers, decent batting average, enough RBIs. I think there's a decent floor there. I don't think he has much upside though, but I think his, his, uh, ability to come close is good. And his, uh, ATC inter, inter SD is pretty, uh, tight. So projections are pretty much in line that this guy is about a 30 homer guy. What say you?
2: Which is weird for a player who, like, really, like, he almost was, like, one player with the White Sox and and then a completely different player with with Miami in terms of, like, what he did. He was a bad average player with the White Sox, a great average player with with Miami. And there are all these other, you know, he struck out a lot less with with the Marlins. I I believe, but I also, like, to me, the breakout looked real. I just want to be cautious about overpaying based on those two months with the Marlins, because I, I think that that elevated him to a level I don't expect. I, I'm kind of expecting maybe 240. I agree with you, he's not a Joey Gallo type, but I also see some batting average slippage coming. Um, and, and I'm probably looking at like 25 to 30 home runs. So I'm probably more with Revain on this one, where I like Berger, but I, I'm not expecting a step to another level. And I, I could see a little bit of regression coming this year as well.
0: Well, the market is projecting him down, and at third baseman, he's going in the eleventh, late in the eleventh round. Even if you, you know, you take your statistics, he's still a slight bargain. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's more safe than you think. But yeah, you're right. I'm not super, super thrilled by him. Uh, but again, it's third base with a lot of power, middle of the draft. It's not, not the worst thing. And uh, if your team really needs a little boost of power and you have enough average. I think it's an okay buy. Um, next guy, Alec Bohm, who was on this list last year. Well, he was a $19 player last year. He was a $16 player the year before. I'm projecting a little bit of regression down to a $13 player. Um, I mean, he's only going for eight. He's also going in that 11th round, same, same area as Jake Berger. I kind of like him a lot better than Berger. That batting average is superb. He's hit over 274 two years in a row. Um, his power, I think he could be a 20 home run guy again, but I'm projecting soft regression to 17. The RBIs are going to be really high because he plays in a good park in a very good lineup. I don't see really much dink here. And look at his contact rate. 15%. Uh, sorry, strikeout rate 15%. 85% contact rate. That's pretty good for a high floor. I think Alec Boehm is very interesting. Uh, I like him better than Jake Berger, and uh, he qualifies at first and third if that means anything to people. Um, what's your take, Mike? Alec, Bohm, any interest?
2: Yeah, I, I actually like Boehm a lot. Now, there, there's something interesting about him, though. In in the last part of the season, last couple months, uh, he actually changed his approach. He actually was, was trying to hit for more power. And he did relative to kind of what he's he's done in the past. And you know I'm not suggesting he's going to go out and hit 35 to 40 home runs, but I think he could take another step forward in power based on what he did. Um, it, it might come with a bit of a loss of that batting average, which you were talking about. But what's really interesting is that you know, even though he hit, like, 10 home runs in his last, like, 230 plate appearances or so, his strikeout rate was 13%. So, it, what, when I say he sold out for power, it's not like he was swinging at everything. I think he was making a, he had a concentrated approach where he's trying to hit home runs, you know, take advantage of the park he plays in. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Boehm a lot. You know, another thing I like about him, you know, it, it's something, it's kind of an old chestnut. It's that age, you know, 26 with experience. Now, you know, Boehm will be 27. But I, I think some people look at what he did the first couple of years and thought, oh, you know, this is who he is. He's experienced." But you know, players take steps forward, and I, I see another step forward for Boehm. Uh, to your point, you know, great park, you know, great team context. I, I, I think there's a lot to like here, and even if he just goes out and does what he did last year, regresses a little. You are right. There's 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 a bargain still to be had in Boehm.
0: I mean, he's he's a he was almost a twenty dollar player last year, and you're getting him under. Eight, about eight dollars i mean if even if he stays the same regresses a little it's a huge profit and you're right i i could see some some growth so i think there's a lot more upside and i think the probability of him beating his draft price as it currently sits is high um Ruvane, uh, we've talked about bone he was on our list last year um we liked him we had him in a couple leagues do you share uh share my sentiment
1: I think he's one of the guys I like the most on this list based on where he's going. Now, he had hit a career low in BABIP last year, and he, and he was tied for the third most ground into double plays last year. But that together with his walk rate staying the same, his K rate has gone down almost every year, I think there is room for improvement. Just think about that. He grounded into 23 double plays last year. If those balls get through the infield and he has hits instead— his numbers would be so much higher, and, and his price would be so much more inflated. So I like him where he is, and I want him to stay there because I want him.
0: Here comes the biggest projected corner infield versus market on on that I have here, Nate Lowe. Nate Lowe was a $15 player last year with 89 runs, 82 RBIs, 17 homers. The year before that, he was a $24 player when he hit 27 homers and batted over 300. And I'm projecting him somewhere in between 12 dollars half dollar player. Um, I mean, the, the value regresses, but the homers stay about there. Soft regression on on the runs and RBIs. He's going at pick 209, the 14th round. Uh, that's a huge, huge, huge bargain. Um, essentially, it's very close to what you're getting out of Alec Bohm, who I like. And you're getting 40 picks later than, than even Bohm. Yeah. Um, Sure, he doesn't have that contact rate that Boehm does, but again, you're you're saving forty picks for him. I, I mean, I I I think that this value is <laughs> he he's been a thirteen dollar player or more the last three years in a row, and he's going for just five. I mean, this is a market that's completely completely mispricing him. A, a, am, am I off here, Mike? I mean, isn't he totally mispriced by the market? And by the way, he has amazing risk factors. His his he has what I call triple risk uh, metrics, where his, his he's the projections are tight. It's actually negatively skewed. So there's if any there's one projection that's low, so you can forget that. And he's somewhat spread pretty well in, in the categories all around. So, what am I missing here, Mike?
2: Well, so th- this is what's funny about a player like Low. I, I I don't think you're missing anything. I think what people are doing is they're they're looking too much of 2022 they're they're saying oh that was a great year he fell off and they're like well you know if he if he does that again in 2020 if he repeats 2023 he's a disappointment i I think similarly to boehm what's happening people are overemphasizing one category and that category is home runs they're looking at corner infield they're going oh, if this player isn't going to come close to hitting 30 home runs i don't want any part of him I think the other piece of it too is that what what's happening that there's people are slotting in their drafts or, or they're tiering and they're saying okay I need my first baseman you know I, I need my you know pitcher I need this I need that and so when everybody has their first baseman you know they're looking at, at low and you know they're they're kind of slotting through here going okay I have my first baseman I can wait on my corner infielder so i think that's a lot of what's happening Pe- people are just kind of saying okay i have what i need and they're afraid to either stretch for low as their first baseman or adam is a corner infielder i don't really have a problem with the values there on low and i already have a first baseman i alluded to this before taking him and going okay he's my corner infielder i've locked in all these stats and and yes a, a bargain might come later at corner infield but i don't need to worry about that i'm just going to take the superior player here
0: I mean, when when you're looking at this, though, before the draft starts, that you have a potential bargain because, whatever, people are just, you know, doing their thing, I mean, doesn't it pay to say, I'm going to pencil in a Nate Lowe, or, you know, maybe not Nate Lowe, but Nate Lowe plus some other guy around him in terms of value and say, I got to take this kind of you know, eight dollar bargain down here. What? Well, why pay four dollars over for Bryce Harper up top when I get an eight dollar profit on the bottom? And sure, maybe something goes a little bit higher, so I'll take a four dollar. But either way, like, isn't it good to pencil that in
2: beforehand? You do you mean it? You mean a at first base?
0: Well, corner infield, you know, because you can take well, him at, you know. Yeah,
2: well, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't mind taking him at corner. I, I don't think I would want to say, no, I'm not taking Bryce Harper. Or, more realistically, I'm discounting Bryce Harper because Lowe or some other first baseman are bargains. I think it's more the second thing. I, I'm perfectly fine being like, yeah, you know what? Um, it, it's pick 185, for example, and, and I think you said Lowe's going outside of the top 200. I'm fine taking Lowe with that pick or whatever, you know, that, that round. And, and saying, yeah, I already have a first baseman, but who cares? Like, he's a bargain, and I'm going to take the bargain here.
0: Okay. Ruven, you agree on low? What, what, what are you doing with, with these bargains that I'm bringing up?
1: Well, Lowe is a very interesting case because he's one of the few guys who's played. He played 161 games last year. Just think about that right side of the infield for the for the Rangers last year. He played 161, and Simeon played all the games. So that's just crazy. In the last three seasons, he's had 640 or more plate appearances each year. He had a career low in home run to fly ball rate, even though he was hitting the ball harder. So I think. This I think he has an opportunity to go from mid low to mid-20s for home runs even more. And if he plays every day, that's what you need in a lineup. You need someone to help you accumulate stats. And if he's going to play every day, that's what you're going to get.
0: Yeah, like I'm thinking the regression here is more on the playing time. He had 623 at-bats. I can't see that going forward. You can't really count on it. But, you know, his pace from last year, you know, maybe add a few more homers. That's what I'm seeing here with, with Nate Lowe. Alright, uh Cabrian Hayes is the next guy. Um Cabrian Hayes, not the biggest bargain here, a couple dollar bargain, he's an eleven dollar player going for about nine, but it's at third base. He does have the power speed blend. He is pretty well balanced. His intra S D is a very low point four two. He's negatively skewed. Um I mean his he's somewhere around a zero Z score for every category, so he's uh, you know, like an average, average fantasy player in a 15 team league player. Uh, you know, just somebody good to have. Not a huge fan. I think his batting average has been all over the place. I think he's on a bad team, so uh, RBI total could be capped. You know, uh, if he drops lower down and I didn't get one of my nice third basemen that I liked, sure. So I'm not really looking at him, Um You know, he's not a disappointment for me, but I'm really not thrilled by Cabrian Hayes, even though he's a $2 bargain. Uh, Ruvane, I'll ask you first on him. Any interest in Cabrian Hayes for this year as an undervalued player?
1: If you miss out on some of the higher end third basemen, then yes, because he can give you the fifteen ten. He can hit around two seventy. He had the hardest hit rate of his career this past year, and his K rate has been dropping every year. So I'm a little bit on the on the on the bandwagon for him. But again, he like you mentioned, he plays for the Pirates. Um, he 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 was battling. A, a, I be, I believe it was a wrist and elbow injury and arm injury. Um, at the end of not this past year, but the year before, and that may have contribute a little bit so he may still have some stuff going on that we didn't know about in the beginning of the season so it is possible that if he bulks up because that's what they do when people when the players tend to get older they tend to bulk up he's only 26 so if he bulks up a little bit more you may see even more power out of him
2: Mike yeah, you know, the, the one thing interesting I noticed looking at him is, you know, he, he was injured last year as well. And, and when he came back, he, he started hitting for more power. The, the the big complaint about Hayes in previous years is he hit the ball hard, but he hit it on the ground. It doesn't really matter how you know often you you know hit the ball on the ground. It's going to be a ground out or a hard single. You're not going to go over the fence. Well, he did do that last year. He started hitting the ball in the air more. Uh, there was some improvement in the second half. I, you know, just like with Berger, I don't want to put, you know, hang my hat too much, too much on that, but it's something to look at. Um, you know, the one thing about Hayes, though, that I, that I guess I'm wary of is because he's such a great real life player. Meaning, you know, defensively, it doesn't really matter to the Pirates if he hits for a ton of power or not in terms of his lineup viability. He's going to stay in the lineup, so. I I hope he tops twenty home runs. It's just not necessarily something I want to count on. So I think I'm with the both of you. Like I, I'm I'm fine with Hayes. Like I, I like him at the price. But I'm not looking at him like wow. I've got to you know stretch for him and take him around earlier. He he's a big bargain.
0: Next two players I'll do together: Andrew Vaughn and Ryan Mountcastle. These have similar metrics to. Uh, Nate Low so it's a similar profile they're a little bit less expensive a little bit projected low uh, lower than him we're talking about a 5 6 dollar bargain so they're 11 dollar players 10 11 dollar players going for you know 3 4 dollars or so um, anybody that you like over the other between uh, Mountcastle and Andrew Vaughn
2: um, well, based on you know ADP and context, I I like Vaughn better. Like I, I actually like Mountcastle as a player better. But if we're talking fantasy, you know Vaughn to me is just an example of, of the market fading him way too much. And I think it's because the prospect sheen has has worn off. You know he, he doesn't look like much. He's you know, only hit twenty home more than twenty runs once. It was last year. But even if that's what he is, like th- this this to me is just w- way too much of a fade. He's going to play. He's on a bad team. Yes, I know that hurts his counting stats. But th- they're, even if he is just like a half-win player, th- they're, they're not going to bench him on the White Sox. He, he's just going way too cheaply because he's a real-life like, prospect disappointment. Uh, as far as Castle, I'd I, I like him better if he was on a bad team, unlike the Orioles, where I knew he'd get 600 plate appearances, some of my worry with him is he gets squeezed a little bit. Um, they've got some talented players coming up, um, you know, and on the way, they've got Ryan O'Hearn, who I think could take some at bats from him against right-handers. Um, he's also penciled in as a DH, but they're going to use Adley Rushman there. Like that, that's one catcher who, you know, we saw it last year. We're going to see it this year. He's going to get his reps in at DH. So. That's my worry with Mountcastle, is, is kind of the playing time. I think that he it's not hard to see him getting squeezed if he doesn't perform. And, you know, I know some of his injuries last, last year, but some of his performance. So I think between the two, I'd rather have Vaughn.
0: Yeah, that's good analysis. I really have not much more to add. I, I agree with that. Any Anything to add, Ruven?
1: Yeah, first of all, Vaughn is the youngest guy we've mentioned so far. So he only has room to improve. I see he has still has room to improve. His home run to fiber rate has steadily increased, and his launch angle has increased as well. But Ryan Moncastle played with some issues last year. He did deal with vertigo by midseason, and he was a slump before he went on the IL. When he came back, after that was taken care of, the second half of the season, he batted 322, 7 homers, 28 RBIs in 54 games. But I took a look at the spray chart from Moncastle from this year to prior years, in Camden Yards. They changed the fences a little bit. And just by the naked eye, I noticed that Mountcastle did lose a few, more than a handful of home runs because of the new dimensions in the stadium. So uh, when, you know, when you talk about um, how, whether the stadium changed people or not for Mountcastle, I think it did. Um, if uh, if he was in a different home park or they changed the dimensions again to back to where they were, then maybe I'd, I'd t- say Ryan Mountcastle. But I think Andrew Vaughn, especially um, as he gets old, older and bigger, I think Vaughn is going to be the Better player.
0: Yeah, good point about the ballpark. Some of those old numbers of Mount Castle really are inflated because of the park. Last two at the bottom that are ATC bargains Jose Abreu, old boring vet, still coming up, and Ty France, who really had a bad year last year. I can't tell if it was injuries, who knows, um, but he really fell off. He was like a low teams player and he turned to $7 value. But he's, his ADP is. In the 22nd round, we're talking about a buck. So, Ty France, you know, he was a $7 player last year. Upside is $15 maybe for a buck. Um, Any interest, Mike, in uh, Jose Abreu or Ty France?
2: Well, I I mean, Abreu's fine at the price. You know, he's 37 in, you know, a few days. I, I think you're probably looking at 15 to 20 home runs. The average should pop up to, like, 260. Um, I, I know he said last year the issue was his back but you know again he's going to be 37. I, I just kind of worry that he's at an age where injuries could take some time or sap performance like now and again. I, I think contextually I just love the fact that he's in Houston and you know the runs in the RBI should be there. you know with France I, I get it you know he's cheap he's a starter um, but there was a note from your your, your Fangroves colleague Jeff Zimmerman's minding the news about, you know, France himself saying like that he hasn't had his swing for the last year and a half and doesn't know why, and that just kind of makes me nervous. It's like, okay, well, yes, he could go out and be the boring accumulator where it's ten to fifteen home runs, you know, and bats two fifty. I, I feel like this isn't really a matter of bargain or not bargain. Yes, if he starts, he's obviously going to be a bargain. It's just the idea. I don't want to be in a position where it's like June first and it's like ah, oh, I've, I've taken two really boring blah months of Thai France where I could have been looking to be improving at this position or, or doing something else. So I, I'd just rather either pass on France or, or take him on reserve. And I think that's why he's going so late. I, I think he's going so late because he very well could be this bad if, if Thai France himself is like, well, I've, I've been bad and I, I don't know why.
0: Um, I actually like France better uh, because he's a dollar. Uh I mean they're they're all very low. And so I think the upside goes to France here. I know Jose Breu has been a twenty dollar player very consistently. I mean he had a forty dollar year in the in the COVID year. But um, you know, he's thirty seven. Um France again, maybe it's injury. If if I think it's injury and it's a dollar, there you go. And you know, you you can play him and I don't think you have to wait two months. If he doesn't start out, throw him away and play somebody else. Now, there might be somebody I like better. Than Ty France for a dollar, but between those two, I think I do like Ty France. The other thing I want to mention though is, I, I really don't want to pick Jose Abreu on my team. The the batting average, I don't know where it's going to be. Homers, I don't know he's going to get to twenty homers again. I mean, he hasn't been over eight. He had eighteen last get fifteen the year before in six hundred at bats. Um. I, I don't really want him, even though my numbers say he's a bargain. So we call this the the Joey Votto nomination. If I'm playing in an auction, that um, nominate him a little bit earlier than you think he's gonna go, because if you sit and wait and nobody nominates him and you don't want him, he's gonna go for a dollar or two at the end of the auction, and then theoretically on my paper he's gonna be an eight dollar bargain. I don't want to see that. I like not seeing other people get bargains and be saying, should I have gotten the dollar? So I will nominate him earlier. I'm happy to take him for a dollar because he's such a bargain. But if I nominate him earlier, maybe he'll go for $4, $5. And then it's only like a $3 bargain that I'm getting somebody else to get. Uh, so I'm collapsing the return on investment. And so I call it the Joey Votto nomination because for the last couple of years, Joey Votto always appeared as I don't know, $5 bargain, $7 bargain. I didn't want him, so I just nominated him early and collapsed the bargain. So Jose Breu is uh, my Joey Votto nomination for this year.
2: Yeah, I I just want to back up to something. Like I I really don't want either one of these players. I I just would take a Breu over France if it was like if I had to. A Breu is the player I'd want. I I really, hopefully at this point, have a better corner infielder than either one.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and a draft is different uh, than an auction uh, in terms of how you play it, how you use it. I probably won't have any consideration for these guys in a draft. In an auction, my consideration is to nominate them because I don't want to see, you know, I, I want some other players to be available for me later, not them, right? Yeah, you, you have to have to play it a little bit differently. Yeah,
2: no, I, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the, the one thing about auctions I do find is that some of the, the theory you're talking about with Abreu, I think depends on how, t- I know you've talked about this before too, is like how tight or loose the auction is. Like, like in a looser auction where there's p- potentially going to be multiple players like Abreu at the end, like if there was a lot of heavy spending on the top players early, I don't know if I necessarily want to nominate Abreu because I just know, like, one, I could get stuck with him for a buck in an auction where there's a bunch of, like, bargains at the end. And it's like, hmm, do I really want to, want to do that? But if it's a tighter auction, I agree with what you're saying, which is, yeah, sure, like, throw him out for a buck. If I get them for a buck and I've you know valued at four or five, that's great. You know people are being too conservative and they're afraid because like ooh I don't want to get stuck with a brave, but it's like yeah, but you know at the end of this auction is going to go. It's a tight auction. You're not going to get a better bargain than the brave at the end, and you should have said two or you know you should have thrown them out yourself at one like for sure. Yeah,
0: and it matters the league size because in an ale only league, I'll gladly take a brave for a dollar. You know, um, and in a ten team mixed league. I'm not nominating him, right? So it really matters the size of of when you do it.
1: Well, I I wouldn't I wouldn't even nominate Obrero. I don't want him at all. He's turning 37 at the end of this month. He had a career low in he he's his, his BABIP last year was 50 points below his career average. His exit velocity last year on batted balls was at a career low. He's 37 and all these. Uh, all these things are trending down. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't think I want anything to do with Ty France either. He's hitting the ball hard, but his home run at the fly ball rate was, last year was seven. He was hitting more infield pop-ups, and I mentioned before about the uh, ground into double plays about Alec Bohm. Number two on the list was Ty France, only behind Carlos Correa. So I, I don't know if I don't want either of these guys, but I think I'll be a little more comfortable with Ty France, only because I think I'll be more comfortable cutting bait with Ty France re- sooner than I would with Jose
0: Okay, a couple of quick mailbag questions. We mentioned before. Scotty Barnes asks: Freeman, Bellinger, and J. Ram were the only three corner infielders with 20 homers and 20 stolen bases in 2023. How many corners do you project to do that in 2024? And who? ATC projections right now have two with 2020. It's J. Ram and Ellie de la Cruz projected for 2020. If I want to go to 1515, then you can add two more guys, Freeman and Cody Bellinger. Interesting. Um Chris asks, what do you guys think about the first base position in an AL only league? It seems remarkably thin at the top of the ranks, and I don't put any stock in the ranks I'm seeing. If uh, so that's question 1 he has. Um yeah, it AL only first base really really thin. I mean Vlad Jr. is probably the best guy, and then is it like Josh Naylor and Yandy Diaz? What are you seeing, Mike, in an ale-only league?
2: Well, I, I kind of agree, although I, I would say like two players I like for growth this year are Tristan Casas and Spencer Torkelson. Uh, my colleague Robert Orr had, had a great call in August about Torkelson's growth and what he was doing, and of course... You know, Robert's so good that Torkelson went out and actually like did the things that Robert Orr was talking about. So I think we could see, you know, an improvement on Torque, particularly in the batting average because of some of the approach things he's done. You know, on Casas, I'm a little bit worried about his shoulder you know injury late in the season, but a lot of his numbers are dragged down by a bad April. So, yeah, like first base is thin, but those two players I think, you know, should make things better. And even Vinny Pasquantino, No, I don't think he's going to, you know, be as lofty as some of the expectations were heading into 2023. But if he's healthy, he's going to give the position some additional depth.
1: Yeah,
0: and the second question is, uh, is Vlad Jr., better than Vinny P in a Roto League. Ruvain, I have to think that Vlad Jr. is better than Vinny P.
1: Yes, and and to answer the first part of the question a little bit more, this is where Ryan Mountcastle and Andrew Vaughn would play, and I think I'd be pretty comfortable getting one of those guys than overpaying for like a Vinny P or something, or another player like that at first.
0: Of course, Vinny Pasquantino was on the 100th episode of the Beat the Shift podcast here, so we're, we're rooting for Vinny, right? We're Vinny fans here. Yes, you um, there you go. Uh, Michael Smith, speaking of Torkelson, I think you answered it already. Does Torkelson take another step up? And you say yes. Now, the only thing I'd say, though, is that um, he did have 600 at-bats last year, Torkelson. So I think the counting stats, especially the run production stats, I think that's at the max. Whether he can hit for a little bit more power or average, that's another story. But I think the run production stuff is going to be capped. Do you agree?
2: I mean, probably, and I think some of that is, you know, the plate appearances, but, but also the, the team context. Like, they, they've got a few more younger players, like, up on the way, but it's not like they've, they've made a bunch of big free agent additions. So, yeah, that that's where I kind of see his problem as far as improving those counting stats.
0: And his other question, uh, I think this is an obvious one, is Jose Ramirez still a top five third baseman?
1: Uh, yes. I mean... No am question. i missing something here no, no question
2: uh, yeah unless there's like an injury i don't know about which there isn't yeah he he's i mean he's probably the top because those steals like he's probably the top third baseman
0: yeah definitely all right Ruanee injury update what's uh what, what are we doing with the corners here what's uh what's the injury updates for the offseason
1: Okay, so since we mentioned Vinny Pasquantino, let's start with him. He had shoulder surgery for a torn labrum in his right shoulder this past June. He's shown videos already. He's doing BP. He should be a full go when it comes to spring training. Another guy who had shoulder surgery, Jose Miranda. He had shoulder surgery... In September, he should he began hitting already in the beginning of December, so he should be good to go for spring training as well. Luis Rengifo, this is going even lower down. He's also first base eligible. He also went had and had surgery for his left shoulder to repair a biceps tendon, t- tendon tear. He was diagnosed with this injury early in September, and he she is ex- also expected to be ready for spring training. Other guys recovering from injuries. Alex Kirillov, he had a shoulder injury. He did. He also had shoulder surgery. Since a lot of corner who are. Had- shoulder surgery. No labrum tear was seen during the surgery, so it was just a cleanup. The surgery was done in October, and he should be ready for a full recovery by spring training. And Noel Vemarte, he's also third base eligible. Um, He suffered a strained hamstring while playing in the Dominican League this year. Um, This happened in early December. He stopped the winter ball, and he should be good to go when it comes to spring training.
0: Alex Kirilov, he's a guy who just never can stay healthy. What is his promise? Um, Mike, are you any interested in Alex Kereloff for this year? I'm I'm not because I just don't want to roster a guy who I think's just gonna be injured all
2: year. Yeah, I mean the the paradox of Kirillov is that in if he were a little better, I'd kind of like him in a shallower league as somebody to take a chance on. But he's not even that good, so it's just not really worth taking him in the last round in that kind of league and being like, oh, I hope he breaks out. And then in a deeper league, it's just that risk of like, yeah, I, I don't really want to like take him and then have to like suffer through injuries and like wait for him to come back so yeah like probably not like he, he's somebody I, I maybe could see winding up in my like UT slot or on reserve if I have a lot of reserve slots but that's about it
0: yep agree well Mike this has been a really great show uh so many people that we went through good strategy always have a blast when you're on so thank you so much for coming and um why don't you tell the audience where we can read your stuff listen to you and all things Mike Gianella
2: well, you can find me at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, we're we're rolling out our, our positional series. Uh, this week, we're doing catchers. We're a little bit behind. We'll beat a corner infielders. Uh, well, first base until next week. Uh, I'm actually off of, of Twitter now, but if you're on Blue Sky, you can find me there. Um, it's the same handle I had on Twitter, which is Mike Gianella. Um, and our podcast, uh, Flags Fly Forever, has not started yet, but we are hoping to get that up and rolling soon for our positional uh, series for 2024.
1: Always great stuff from Mike. Uh, Ruvane, what about you? What's going on? You can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out the injury updates as they come, which they should be coming more as the season gets closer and closer. I also have an in-season article at Rotobowler discussing all the injuries of that week and to help you out for Fab for the Sunday night.
0: Well, we're just a few days away from ATC projections hitting fan and Many other places that we'll tell you about next week. Just a couple days. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a great, great draft season. Um, I'll send out a couple of teasers of ATC stats. So uh, those are always fun to do. So check them out. I'm on Twitter at ATCNY. I write for Fangraphs, Roto Baller. ATC Projections will be on multiple sites, which you'll hear about. And, of course, we've got the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs, where you can listen to us every week and even twice a week sometimes during draft season so we get you the most information and we have a great time doing it. All right, once again, thank you so much to Mike Gianella for coming on the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at Beat underscore Shift underscore Pod.